Well, I think just generally um, having a voice uh, where our recommendations as as educators are going to be considered by administration um, in decisions impacting and the community um, would be just invaluable. And um, I just think that's important and, and would benefit everyone involved. Because um, we as educators are the ones who are working with students every single day. And so we have kind of a pulse on what's going on and um, having a, a voice where we can give our some meaningful input would be just, I think, make Clovis Unified an even better place to learn and work and grow. Hello, everyone. This is Jason Roach again, and welcome to the Ace Pod, a production of the Association of Clovis Educators. I'm really excited uh, for you to get to hear this 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 episode. Uh, we have a guest who has a really unique and interesting story, and we're we're taping this essentially after the first week of our public launch and. You know, our petition drive has begun and we realize that there, there's a lot of confusion out there about the process. And, you know, we've done some work to try and alleviate that confusion. And this guest is very timely right now because she can speak with a lot of credibility about this process and the difference between public sector unions and, and private sector unions. And, um, you know, she has a a unique career and a unique story. Uh, she's very thoughtful. And of course, she's a dedicated teacher now after, after spending many years practicing labor law in places like Washington, D.C. She is now a teacher at Buchanan High School, uh, and she's taught there for the last 18 years. And I'm really excited for you to get to hear her. So uh, welcome, Laura Riley, to the Ace Pod. Hi, Jason. I'm just so happy to be here. Thanks. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. I'm excited about this. You know, you have you have a kind of interesting story um, and kind of teaching is, you know, kind of a, a second career for you. And let's just talk about that that journey. Like what tell us about your life prior to teaching. <laughs> Sure thing. So um, before I became a teacher, um, I spent about 15 years practicing law. So I worked as an attorney advisor to the National Labor Relations Board in Washington, D.C. Um, that was my specialty. I really enjoyed it. I was an appellate attorney. Um, I also then moved, my husband and I moved back to California and I worked at the federal district court for the judges there. And also I worked for the Fresno Superior Court doing civil and criminal law in motion. So um, that's kind of my background. And I really enjoyed working as an attorney. But once my husband and I had children, I really wanted to spend uh, summers with them and, and a little more time. And so I went back to school and got my teaching credential. And I ended up working at Buchanan High School as a an honors English teacher and also AP US government. And it's just been fantastic. I, I just love teaching. I thought I would go back to 
the law. And I just found I, I just love the kids and, and the whole journey so much that I've kept, kept at it. So I do kind of have a different background than some other teachers. So, so, you know, talk about, you know, kind of before you became, you know, before you practiced law, like, you know, where'd you grow up? Are you, you originally from California? Oh, right, right. Um, so I grew up in the Bay Area uh, in Los Gatos and uh, enjoyed it there. Um, so I'm from the Bay Area. My family still lives in the Bay Area and um, went to um, undergrad at UC Davis and love, fell in love with the Central Valley. And that's kind of ultimately how we ended up here. I I also graduated from UC Davis. Oh, did you? Look at oh. this. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, one I of love our, Davis. Yeah. One of our previous guests, and uh, I don't think he, I think he ended up graduating from Fresno State, but he, Adrian, went to UC Davis as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, it's nice to meet someone who graduated from there. Yeah, fellow Aggies. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Our, Great school. Uh, we have a, a self-conscious, though, about being, not being Berkeley, right? We're, oh, yeah, yeah. And my Berkeley friends always like to tell me that we were once the ag school for Uh uh (laughs) that we enjoy cow tipping. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So and then, you know, from UC Davis, uh, somehow you ended up in Washington, D.C. I did. Um, So it's kind of well. So I went to law school at Gonzaga in Spokane. Uh, Apparently they have a good basketball team. Um, and earned my, <laughs> earned my Juris Doctorate from there and um, got really interested. I had a professor got me really interested in labor law. So I did an additional year after getting uh, earning my Juris Doctorate and, at Georgetown University Law Center. Um, and I earned a master's degree in labor law there. And um, which was a great experience. Uh, the, the school is on Capitol Hill itself, so really exciting. And I loved Washington, D.C., loved going to school there, meeting people, the work. Um, and that's how I ended up working for the National Labor Relations Board in Washington, D.C. And, and just talk about that a little bit. What is what, it, you know, in a, in a nutshell, that might not be easy, right? That's a little unfair, yeah. but what does the National Labor Relations Board do? So they, um, the, the National Labor Relations Board was created in 1935 under the Roosevelt administration to execute the National Labor Relations Act, and that is for the unionization of private sector employees. And so the National Labor Relations Board itself just um, administers and enforces the act itself. So it's been around for a long time. And um, so that's, that's, I worked as an attorney advisor to the board itself. So we got appeals from cases regarding private sector unionization from all over the United States. And uh, there are five board members. I worked for one of them. And we would, uh, we would look at the underlying appellate case. And then um, I would write the decisions for my board member, the legal decisions. So it was, it was really interesting to be in D.C. and doing that was really exciting. When, when, when abouts are we talking? What years? <laughs> you're going you're gonna to really date me here. Um, <laughs> 
I'm towards sorry. the end, <laughs> it's okay. Um, I practiced there during uh, George Herbert Walker Bush's administration. Ah, Bush the first. In, yeah. Bush the first, and then into um, the Clinton administration. Okay, interesting. So, yeah, and, yeah. And so, um, yeah, we have kind of the most famous right case right now, or kind of instance of unionization is this kind of recent Amazon push in, in Arkansas, right? So right. What, what, what role would the National Labor Relations Board play in that, if any, or is it if there are oh, yeah. legal, legal challenges or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the private, for, for private sector, the NLRA, the National Labor Relations Act, has jurisdiction over any private company um, or business that wants to unionize. So with the Amazon case you're talking about, they were attempting some employees, uh, I believe in Georgia, were trying to unionize. So um, their process is they have to sign a petition or a authorization card or a petition. They get 30% to show they're interested in unionization. And then the National Labor Relations Board actually comes in and conducts the election itself. Mm. And then any sort of subsequent unfair labor practice allegations for either party, the employer or employee, that's where the, the National Labor Relations Board would um, would arbitrate those dis- disputes. So, mm. so, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's 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 different. It's for all private sector. So. You know. So, and, and we'll get into kind of some of the you know, public sector stuff a little later, but that, you know, kind of maybe where that 30% idea might be 30% to then the vote. So, yes. anyway, so before we get to that, though, let's, uh, you know, get back to Buchanan. So how did you, you know, how did you, you know, get to Buchanan High School from, you know, Washington, D.C.? Yeah, yeah. So um, when my, my husband and I, um, moved from Washington, we, well, we, I'm from California, wanted to return to California. So um, I got a job um, in a private sector labor law firm actually. And so we moved back in, in Fresno and that's how we ended up in Fresno. So um, worked there for a while. And then, like I said, ended up having children and that kind of changed my life and I wanted to spend some more time with them. So, um, I always had enjoyed history and, and writing and all that. I was an appellate attorney, so I wrote a lot of, I wrote professionally really as an attorney. So um, I got my teaching credential and then I did my student teaching in social science at Buchanan High School and just fell in love with it, just really enjoyed it. So I ended up getting a job as an English teacher so I'm credentialed in English and social science. And I guess you're an English teacher as well. So it's a such an important subject yeah. to teach. You know, I mean, to be able to write intelligently, cogently, persuasively, logically is going to be such a benefit to any, any individual in whatever career they go down. So I started teaching um, English honors. And then after a while, I started to teach um, AP government. So it's been, it's been like a, a dream come true. So I kind of get to use my law degree and my writing skills and all of that with some really fantastic kids. Okay. So you're at Buchanan and how many years have you been at Buchanan? 18 years. 
Oh, well, so yeah. somewhere around um, 2003, 2004. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And, you know, just talk about what is it that you love about Buchanan High School? Oh, my gosh. Uh, there's so many things. I I really love interacting with uh, the teenagers whom I teach. Um, you know, they're on the cusp of adulthood and seeing them a lot of times, I teach sophomores and seniors. So a lot of times I have them as English students, their sophomore year, and then I have them as seniors for AP government and just seeing the progression, the learning that takes place, you know, the, the aha moments and, and just seeing them develop into these just outstanding adults who are just growing on their intellectual journey and just asking questions. And a lot of times I get to see them vote for the first time and, you know, all of that. It's just, it, it's just so gratifying. Um, so the kids are, are just wonderful. And I love my colleagues. Um, we, we get along great. Uh, we share ideas and, our principal is wonderful. He he couldn't be better and or more supportive. I mean, it's wonderful, warm place to work. So I just can't imagine working at a better site. It's yeah, just that, terrific. That's great. Yeah, yeah, we we hear so many good things about uh, your principal. Um, yeah, he's, that's awesome. He's yeah. Terrific. Yeah, and you know, to a person almost uh, that guests on this this show have really talked really highly of their their side administration so um that's great that's great to kind of work at a place where you feel connected to your 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 colleagues and your administration and then of course you know the students are great and sounds like you work with you know 12th graders right what a a, like what a it is a it's a strange year right (laughs) because you know they're they're in many ways starting about march they are like when is this going to be over? But you you get to see, you really do get to see kind of like um, them become, you know, kind of adult person that they're going to, going to grow into. Oh, it's terrific. It's such a blessing. Yeah. And what a cool thing to be like a, a a government teacher and then to vote like, yeah, kind of voting like the, the voting years, right, are probably like those years of an election, right? That's that's a really cool experience. Too. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, and they talk over issues and, yeah. you know, and they see how it dovetails with what they're learning. And it's just, I mean, it's just, I can't even express how exciting it is. It's just such a, it's such a, an honor to be able to talk to them and to teach them and to see them grow. Are you, are you still teaching English or yeah. just the, yeah. I, I teach honors English 10 and so sophomores and then I teach AP government. So seniors. Laura, we have more in common than I teach honors English 10 as well. Oh, do you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So well, you, yeah. Apparently UC Davis, uh, you know, kind of produces <laughs> English honors 10 teachers. Right? I guess. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah, let's get back to kind of this, so there, you worked for the you know, National Labor uh, Relations Board, um, and for our purposes, for unionization in you know kind of the public sector, um, and in California we have this organ, you know, the state agency PERB, right? Will you will you just talk about PERB a little bit? Sure. So um, the public sector is when you're talking about unionization is different than the private sector, um, and so for uh, K through 12 public education, um, 
employees, we would fall under the jurisdiction of the Educational Employment Relations Act, which is overseen by the PERB, that's the acronym for it, the Public Employees Relation Board. And so they act a lot. I mean, the whole act, the employee, um, employees relation, you know, the, the public sector is patterned after the NLRA. Um, and so PERB acts just like the NLRB. And so it oversees um, uh, public sector employees who, uh, educational employees, K through 12, who are interested in unionizing. And so let's, you know, let's just spend a little time kind of, there's been obviously some confusion about kind of how the vote and that term vote, right, is a little problematic. Sure. Because it makes people think of, you know, a ballot and going into a ballot box. But, you know, let's kind of clear up that that confusion. Sure. It, for all. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's easy to get confused because I think um, you, people, if you don't know about this and who does, um, you know, you the private sector and then the public sector and from state to state, it can all be different. So under the Educational Employment Relations Act for K through 12 public sector employees, um, if, if you want to form a union um, under the law, what happens, is it's a different process than under the, pub, the private sector rather. So um, what happens is uh, a, any group that wants to be recognized, they will circulate a petition and employees who would fit within the requisite bargaining unit will sign the petition. And the signatures are completely confidential. Um, the law is that if a, an employee unit can get enough signatures uh, at least 50% plus one, then those signatures are sent to the Public Employees Relations Board and they certify that the people who signed it are actually employees at that venue and, and all of that. Um, again, it's completely confidential. The employer never learns about who has, who has signed or who has not signed. And it's the Public Employee Relation Board that will then um, certify this, uh, certify everything to show that yes, this group now has 50% plus one um, signatures. So there is no actual election, the traditional election where, you know, like under the private sector, there is an election where you actually have a ballot and you put it into the box and the NLRB oversees it. Um, that's the private sector. Um, public sector, like I said, is just simply signing a petition and all of that is kept confidential and goes to the, the Public Employees Relation Board. So that's okay. the difference, yeah. So essentially we get, you know, the uh, 50% plus one signatures, we've yes. met the legal threshold Exactly. To be recognized as a, a you know, a bargaining unit or a, or a union. Exactly. Yes. Right. All right. So no need for 30%. No. Plus, uh, plus an election. No, that's, that's the private sector. It's easy to get confused. I mean, it yeah. is confusing. So. All right. Perfect. Okay. So, um, you know, now back to kind of 
your kind of life as a high school English teacher and AP government teacher. Um, you know, I know that you've talked a lot about kind of class sizes as being, you know, something that you kind of see as a, as a, a major issue and something that uh, you worry about as uh, kind of limiting your effectiveness. So can you just, you know, why does, why does class size matter? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I really believe as an English teacher, and you can probably testify to this, um, and as an AP Gov teacher, um, I have my students, they, they need to write a lot of essays and they need to write a lot. Um, I think it's just so important to be able to give a lot of feedback. And I traditionally do. I spend probably about up to 10 minutes per, per essay of a student giving written feedback because I really believe that that helps them learn and grow. And having a huge class size is just a real impediment for the amount of time I can spend individually with students. And then also at home, once I'm actually grading their papers and giving them feedback, um, having a smaller class size would just be such, oh, so wonderful. Just because I can teach more effectively, I can give better feedback, uh, I can get to know my students better. I just think it's it can give such a, it's such a win-win situation. So Smaller class size is something I would really love to advocate for. And yeah, so let's let's flesh that out a little bit. Let let's try and do some math. And I'm assuming as an AP government teacher, you might be a little better at math than I am. But no, no, I'm not. <laughs> All right, sorry, I shouldn't have made that assumption. But um, uh, so how many how many you know students do you have in a in a typical year? Uh, no, it, it depends, but for like my AP classes, I have between 35 and 40 students per class. Um, and how, and many, I, how, many, how many, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. How many, how many classes do you, do you have? I have three, currently I have three AP government classes and two honors English 10 classes. So, so. You, you have five sections um, somewhere between 35 and 40 students. So we're talking in the neighborhood of 180 total students. Right? Yeah, around. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's my, my situation as well. I teach five sections of, of English, you know, two uh, English 10 honors and then three AP language sections. Oh, wow. And as, as you know, right, very yeah. writing intensive. Yeah. Uh, and you talked about this kind of 10 minutes per per essay, right? So I, I did do a little math here. And, um, yeah, <laughs> Better you so, than me. <laughs> so, um, and then I actually, it was like, oh my gosh, did, did I do my math correct? So I, <laughs> I, I, had, to, I had to verify it and, and, and it's accurate. So, you know, 180 students, right? And if you just spend five minutes on an essay and which is, and I think you would agree is not enough time, right? To, right. It, you know, that's a, enough time to get through it and give it, you know, kind of a, a, a cursory score, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. That, that's not enough time to give kind of the deep kind of feedback that that our students need and, and deserve. Um, that's 900 minutes, 180, yeah. <laughs> 180 <laughs> essays at five minutes a pop. That's 900 minutes. And 900 minutes is, is 15 hours. Yeah. Uh, and you said 10 minutes, 
Yeah, I I like to give a lot of feedback. So yeah, so now we're talking, you know, we're talking 30 hours. Um, And then, you know, I started to think about, okay, so what would the the National Council of Teachers of English recommend, right? And they recommend that you spend 20 minutes on an essay, right? (laughs) Um, As a way, you know, kind of to kind of fully analyze what is is happening with with the student, what are they doing well? Mm-hmm. You know, what 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 are they missing? Right, where are their weaknesses in their writing, um, and then providing kind of that that feedback that we're talking about. Yeah, you know, and they 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 talk about at twenty minutes. Um, you know, just for uh, oh my gosh, now I I lost it. Uh, I have it in front of me. Five hundred minutes just for a class of twenty five students to do that. Um, 20 minutes of feedback on 25 essays is 500 minutes, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. And so it, it is intensive, right? And then mm-hmm. um, uh, obviously when you have 180 students and then we have colleagues, right, that sell their preps um, because they need that extra money. Um, and that's maybe a, another episode of the yeah, Explod, another but, episode. You know, <laughs> right? But, they, you know, they are, you know, kind of, trying to add some money. So they sell their preps. And now we're talking about 220 students, right? And um, the the ability to kind of be the best possible teacher you could be for your students is just, it's degraded, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, and so as a union, right, we would, you know, this is something obviously we talk about a lot, right? And how do we you know, kind of limit our class sizes. How do we add more teachers? And, you know, that's a kind of another episode as well, right? Yeah. APUs and stuff like that. But, um, you know, this isn't just, you know, teachers who want less work. This is teachers who want to work harder uh, for a smaller amount of students so they can serve their their interests a little better. Right. Exactly. So what are, uh, what are a couple other issues that you think uh, a union could help with? Well, I think just generally um, having a voice uh, where our recommendations as as educators are going to be considered by administration um, in decisions impacting and the community um, would be just invaluable. And um, I just think that's important and and would benefit everyone involved. Um, Because we as educators are the ones who are working with students every single day. And so we have kind of a pulse on what's going on and um, having a a voice where we can give our some meaningful input would be just, I think, make Clovis Unified an even better place to learn and work and grow. So that's another issue. Um, And probably another big issue, at least for me, is it would be nice to have a real voice in choosing relevant material support curriculum for our students for the same reasons, because we we are in the trenches teaching and we see, you know, we we have some good thoughts, I think, to share um, with administration as far as what kind of textbooks should be used or materials would be helpful and all of that. So, Again, to make the experience of learning at Clovis Unified even better. So those are those are really my issues. Yeah, as somebody who has spent the last couple of years trying to update our supplemental literature list, um, 
it's been, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yes. it's, been, it's been frustrating. It's yeah. been hard, right? It's been, you know, kind of working against a system where teachers, you know, kind of have the ability to kind of uh, say, Hey, I think we should do this. Um, mm-hmm. But don't actually have any real kind of uh, seat at the table when the decisions are actually made. Exactly. Uh, and it's a, it moves at a glacial pace because of that, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. Um, you know, we started in, you know, two years ago trying to kind of approve kind of new titles for, and just for the, you know, the listeners, right? We have you know, novels that, you know, English teachers uh, are approved to teach at certain grade levels. And, you know, we did a cataloging of those, those books and, you know, we were, we were deficient in a lot of ways. We had a mm-hmm. lot of books that were approved that were, you know, um, you know, kind of weren't very contemporary. Uh, they weren't relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of represented, you know, kind of a very narrow segment of our society. Um, not a whole lot of books with kind of written by, you know, authors of color, um, sure. or with, you know, kind of protagonists or characters that were, were people of color. Um, and it, it was arduous. And after two years, we still hadn't approved anything um, with, that was written by a person of color until January. I will say that finally, um, in January, we got a, a few books approved. So uh, now we just have to get those books purchased, which I think is going <laughs> to be another problem, <laughs> another another journey of a couple years, right? So yeah. it, it's something, right? And I think you said it, right? We are the ones, um, educators, classroom teachers, psychologists, uh, counselors, we're the ones doing the work on, on a daily basis with kids, right? Um, and kind of that voice, having that voice that. Uh, it has some kind of leverage and power to it um, is going to benefit is going to benefit kids. Okay. Yes, Um, absolutely. All right. So um, last, last question here for you. Um, Laura, why are you signing the union support petition? Well, I, I'm signing it because I, like I said, I adore my, I absolutely love teaching, and I really believe that all educators should have a meaningful voice in decisions, like I said before, impacting our students, our our fellow educators, and community. And I really think that working collaboratively is a positive move um, with administration would would be the conduit to achieve the very best possible outcome for our students and for and for educators and for the community. So that's really why. And I, th- I think that's a really compelling point, right? That you know we're not here to uh, become a, like a, a, an oppositional force. Sure. Administration, right? We want to ensure that we are a truly collaborative partner. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, we're not just friendly with with our administration, which most of most of us are. So right? far, yes, yes. That that we can have kind of that decision making power, or we can move to a shared decision making model where it's okay to have difficult conversations right. with our administrators, and it's not seen as divisive. It's just seen as part of the democratic process. 
Exactly. It's just some valid in, input and we can talk about it. Yeah. And we can all get along. Yes. Perfect. Yep. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Laura. Thank you very much. Okay. So welcome back. Every episode, we want to end by celebrating and honoring the students that we serve. So Laura, take it away. So I had a student, Victor, who was wonderful. I had him in 10th grade for Honors English 10. And then I also had him in AP U.S. government class. And he started to develop a real interest in politics. And we'd always talk about it. And it was it was really great. I saw him grow and learn, you know. From a sophomore to his senior year, and he went away to college. And he recently contacted me to say that he was working as a staffer to a uh, California congressman in Washington D.C. How he loved it, and he said um, he realized he needed to get a law degree to really further his career because he wants to go into politics and policy making. And so he is now in law school. And it was just so great to hear from him. And he was so cute. He goes, I still have your PowerPoints from AP Gov. <laughs> so it's just so great to see, you know, your students um, who go on and continue to learn and become contributing members of society. You know, I mean, it's just the, the greatest honor and just such a thrill. So that's my Victor story. That's great. You know, like I think we should add that as a benchmark for when you've really impacted a kid. They they tell you about the powerpoints that they've kept. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like, they come. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that that's that's great. Like the it's really nice. Obviously, we don't care what kids become when they they leave us, right? Oh, we, absolutely. We, we just want them to be. But it is nice when they you know they take you know an interest in kind of our subject matter and then kind of that plays out in in their life and it's it's a lot of fun yeah and it's really nice when they let us know about it later. oh yeah to hear from them later is the biggest honor you know and it's such a thrill so um it's that's what makes teaching so great yeah it just reminds you kind of how important the work is sure sure it's a thrill awesome thank you laura thank you Clovis educators and all of you out there that have tuned in, we thank you for joining us in the conversation. To engage further, you can find us at www.cloviseducators.org and at our Instagram handle at Clovis Educators. Remember, there is nothing wrong about having this conversation. You cannot legally be punished for participating, asking questions, listening to this podcast, attending a meeting, And ultimately, if you choose to, signing the union support petition. These are your legally protected rights. We are ACE, we love Clovis Unified, and we will see you next time on the ACE Podcast.